Hi and welcome back to the Daily Tech Start where I share with you some of my day-to-day -day experiences working in a tech startup and the lessons I've learned along the way. So this is episode number five and today we're talking about why governments and tech can't seem to truly cooperate, well not yet anyway, and why it should be beneficial for all if they actually did. I obviously realize this is a pretty in-depth topic, so I think we'll just be scratching the surface today, but do give me some thumbs up um, if you wish to dig in this, we'll dig into this a little bit further with me. Um, I'm actually in Brussels um, today in Belgium uh, for a few days. Um, if you're not familiar with Brussels, um, it, think of it as the Europe's version of Washington DC home to Europeans' key institutions like the European Parliament, the European Commission and the Council, and also home to thousands of lobbyists. Um, it's actually also home to hundreds if not thousands of different beers and great chocolate, so definitely worth a, a swing by if you're ever in the neighbourhood. I'm actually here for, for work um, and on Wednesday morning I'll be off um, to Paris as well for work. Um, so lots of business meetings um, across Europe um, lined up this week with political parties, organizations and campaigns. Um, can't really go into um, much detail into any of these, but hopefully more to come soon on this. So the reason why I chose this topic today is I s sat on the Eurostar in a train, so coming from London to Brussels. And for the past, for the past three years, I've increasingly worked um, at the intersection, really at the intersection of tech and politics. And I have to say I'm a little bit surprised at how slow these two units, verticals or areas, not sure what we should call them, um, but how both the tech and the political side have made very little effort to actually communicate and understand each other, there I say it. And there's a long way I think for both of them to go to really truly cooperate with each other. Um, and every time I'm in Brussels, I, I just, I don't know, I guess I, I get that sense where I really real, realise just how wide that gap um, really is between the tech companies and the tech startups and governments, whether, whether they're local governments, national governments or European governments like we see a lot of um, in Brussels. Um, and I don't know, if you look at it from the two sides, I think governments still today, or governments still today think um, they can build everything that they need in-house. Um, they think they have all the technical um, capabilities um, instead of you know, outsourcing and taking out-of-the-box solutions uh, that tech companies are providing. And I see this on a day-to-day basis. So I work for a tech company, Nation Builder, that provides out-of-the-box um, solutions and softwares for people who are campaigning and political parties. And it, it's an ongoing struggle of, of governments and political parties who, who think or who want to think they can truly build or they have the competencies um, to build this in-house. Um, and I see this time and time again. And what's fascinating is if you look at this, you know, from a much um, larger scale, um, governments have poured millions of taxpayers' monies into projects that honestly constantly fail. And according to the author David Runciman, um, more taxpayers' money in Britain has been wasted on what he considers mismanaged IT projects in recent years than on anything else, including mismanaged wars, which is pretty insane when you think about it. So why don't these projects actually succeed? I think 
mostly because it's not their core competences. If you've gone into government, if you're a politician, your core competences is not technology, it's not building innovative um, solutions and, uh, and projects. You also generally don't have the right talent in government as you would find in, in companies and, and in the private sector. These spaces, or the, the 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 political and the governmental space, doesn't move us doesn't move as fast as tech startups. They're not as nimble as startups, and I think they also fail to pick up on what works in time and actually take advantage of this. And this is also something that David Runciman talks about: is when they actually find something that works, it's generally been adopted by everyone else but the political and the governmental sector. And I think we, we saw this um, with the hype of politicians and heads of states and diplomats jumping on the Twitter bandwagon maybe two, three, four years ago when people had been on it for six, seven years already. Um, and even that, they, they had a hard time, I think, truly adopting it. And actually, there's still a fair amount of politicians and, and, and you know, the public sector who are who are staying very far away from you know innovations or social media platforms like twitter for example but tech startups on the other hand i think still have that arrogance to think that they are actually above government and above legislation and i think this is something that the tech industry really doesn't quite understand very well um again some of the blind spots um include the story of its origin, of the origin of tech, again explained by David Runciman really well, um, where he should be, where he explains that there would actually wouldn't be a tech industry today on the scale that we know it without the help of government. And it's because of the, the government investment um, and all of the investment that they poured in that made the information technology revolution actually possible in the first place. So what they fail to realize is that when push comes to shove, governments will actually win. Um, and I think something that this is something that big companies like Apple and Google are finding out with um, actually finding this out pretty hardly with the with the European Commission's latest fine against Google. I think it was in June of this year. Uh, just to, to jog your memory, uh, the, the commission had fined Google two point four billion for abusing dominance as a search engine by giving illegal what they considered a legal advantage to their own comparison shopping service. And this was actually a record breaking fine in in an antitrust case. Um, so ultimately, what people had started saying as of June 2017, so June of this year, is that if you think that governments and if you think that institutions like the European Commission are just messing around, they're actually in it for the long run and they're definitely not messing around. Um, they're taking this pretty seriously. So I've actually just gone and found um, David Runciman's book um, called Politics, seeing as I've mentioned him now already two, two or three times. And I've also found um, the article that he wrote in The Guardian. So I think if you Google um, David Runciman Politics, Google, you will find um, what is actually an excerpt of his book um, published in The Guardian. He's also, he's an author, but he's also a, a journalist at The Guardian. And his book is absolutely phenomenal. And there's three chapters in his book. And one of the chapters is obviously dedicated to technology. And, and he really does bring up this whole, 
you know, a concept, an idea of how technology and governments um, should work together. And he ultimately says that for both sides and for society to thrive, you're going to have to find a way for these two parties to, to collaborate and, and really communicate. Um, and so in this article that I've just gone and found, um, he actually, I don't know, frames the question in a much more fascinating way than what I've done here is he frames it as politics of technology, which will save the world. Um, and then he goes into explaining how, you know, the most significant revolution of the 21st century by far was absolutely not politic political um, and it is the information technology revolution um, without a doubt um, and he goes on obviously to explain that the, the transformative effects that we are seeing and feeling today are absolutely everywhere I mean in every aspect of society we are feeling the chains and the benefits of, of new technologies and inf inf uh, innovation sorry um, and in many places rapid technologies um, change stands out really in stark contrast to the total lack of, of political change that we're seeing. Um, and I think he wrote this article back in 2014. So I think back then you could absolutely argue that the political systems that we know today, if we were in 2014, have more or less say, stayed exactly the same for the last 10, 20, 50 years, depending on what countries you look at, in the, specifically in the European Union, but also elsewhere abroad in the US. However, I would argue that today in 2017, so three, four years later, um, we have seen some significant change, and I've seen it also leading the business here in Europe. Um, more and more political parties have jumped on the bandwagon of innovation and tech, and more and more of them are willing to take out-of-the-box solutions and look to technologies and tech company um, to solve their tech needs rather than trying to build this in-house and obviously you know, waste taxpayers' monies or, or waste donations or whatever else they're doing with the, the money that they're, that they're getting. Um, so technology has the power to make politics seem obsolete and the speed of change does leave government looking slow and cumbersome and he says also unwieldy and often irrelevant. But here's the kicker and here's I think the thing that we really need to remember is technology alone won't rescue anyone out of a civil war. Technology alone will, won't solve the big problems that we are facing today as a society climate change, poverty, etc. And and here's the one that I that I absolutely really love is he takes a great example and it's the example of um, Google's um, driverless cars. So if we take the example of Google's driverless cars, here's what David Ransomman has to say about this. He said, first of all, it's hard to imagine that a government program would result in a self-driving in a self-driving car like the one that Google has been able to put together. But that car still needs roads to drive on, rules to govern what happens there, accidents, whatever you can imagine. And then what about the people who don't want a self-driving car or can't afford it or simply enjoy actually being behind the wheel and driving a car? What a concept. And so we need to think about who is going to manage that transition from a driven to a driverless world. And it sure as hell won't be Google who's going to figure out that transition. Governments will have to figure out that transition of moving for a driven, of moving from a driven to a driverless world. So 
if the self-driving car is going to become the industry norm, it's going to take time. And I think here's the thing that we mustn't forget. It's going to be extremely messy because we've never done this before. And then there's a whole plethora of other things that we need to think about. The transport network will have to adapt to a society in which there are driverless cars. The insurance industry is going to have to adapt and rethink the way um, it runs insurance. And it's going to have to adapt as well to the legal system because the legal system is going to have to adapt to a driverless society. Um, not least to decide what to do with all the people who still insist on the right to have crashes, ultimately the right to be behind the wheel and drive their car. So the market also may be able to take care of some of these things over time, but it won't be able, the market alone won't be able to take care of all of them. And certainly not at the same time and certainly not in a very short time frame. So regardless of the innovation that comes out of tech companies and tech startups like Google, more as a tech company but a tech startup, um, these companies and these innovative companies are still going to need government if this thing, which this thing in this case is driverless cars, is going to take off and be successful. And I really think that that's the moral of the story, is that we can't have a society in which innovation is speeding ahead and tech companies think they're above it all, um, and paying very little attention to the needs of society and the needs of government. And we can't have a, a government and a political system that is so slow and so encumbersome that they're not willing to look out and partner with tech companies to really understand. So I think it's going to, just going to be fascinating what's going to be the breaking point or what it's going to take, if it's going to be an event or if there's going to be a moment in which in the coming years these two worlds are going to collide and really start to collaborate and, and, and communicate more with each other because I fundamentally, fundamentally think that, that that's the problem that I see time and time when I'm in Brussels and I think that's what really stirred up all of these thoughts for me is there's two different languages um, being taught um, and I don't think either side is truly listening, either side is actually truly listening um, to the other. So if you haven't, I mean, this has turned in more to um, sort of a book review, um, but if you haven't already read um, David Runciman's book, I definitely urge you to do it. It's really fascinating. It is a little bit out of date. Um, but funnily enough, the stuff that he wrote back in, in 2014 is still, you know, still absolutely applicable today. And in, in one sense, a bit worrying that not we haven't moved that far in the last three years when it comes to that collaboration or the non-collaboration between um, tech companies and startups and, and governments. Um, that's it for me. It's now nearly one o'clock. Well, actually, no, it's past 1 a.m. here, so I'm going to go to bed and get ready for my meetings tomorrow. Talk to you soon.